Hey, what's up? It's Avery here. Well, I guess who else would it be? It is my own show. <laughs> you see, my show is on platforms like iTunes and Spotify, and you may wonder, how do I get my show on these platforms? Well, I do it through an app called Anchor. It's free to download, and you can use it on your phone or on your laptop. And it also comes with creation tools that let you edit your show. You can also make that sweet moolah with your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, want to get started? Download the Anchor app on the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store. Or go to anchor.fm. It's that easy. Hey everybody, what's going on? It's Avery here. Welcome back to Avery Sports Show. And my next guest I want to welcome on is an incredibly hard worker. He is one of the best broadcast voices in all of hockey. He is also a graduate of Bowling Green State University. He's worked in college hockey. He worked for the Cincinnati Cyclones as their play-by-play voice. And he is the first team broadcaster for the NHL's Seattle Kraken. Please welcome onto the podcast, Everett Fitzhugh. Everett, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Avery. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course, of course. You know, I got to ask you, like, how does that sound, Everett, to be a NHL broadcaster of a brand new franchise over in Seattle? It, it, it sounds amazing. Honestly, it does. And, you know, this is a, a dream come true for me. Um, I've known that I've wanted to, to be a play-by-play or a broadcaster in some capacity in the NHL, getting to the NHL. I've, I've known this since I was 18 years old. And um, when I did my first broadcast for uh, Bowling Green State University. So to be able to achieve this lifelong goal of being a broadcaster in the NHL is, is something that um, is, is huge. And I think being able to do it for an expansion team, a brand new team coming in on the ground floor and, and being able to, to add your name and to help build a piece of history is, is another uh, thing you don't see too often. A lot of people don't get these opportunities to be able to come in on the ground floor and, and help add their stamp uh, to, to a brand new franchise. So, I mean, overall, it, it, it's just a phenomenal, amazing opportunity and one that I'm very, very excited for. No, of course. You know what? And you know what? Any job, be it in broadcast, especially with jobs that are highly coveted as being in the NHL, what was your reaction when you got the, you know, maybe it was an email, maybe it was a call back that you got the job and you're going to be a part of the crack? Like, what was your reaction? Did you jump around? Did you, did you faint? Like, what was your reaction? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, so I, I got a phone call from, um, from Katie Townsend, who was their VP of marketing and communications. And she, uh, you know, after a long interview process, I met with her and, and numerous other people in the organization. I, I took a trip out to, to Seattle as well um, to, to meet everyone and, and to see their vision for myself with my own eyes. And w- when I got the phone call from her, um, you know, I, my fiance was home that day. She, she had the day off from work. So we're both sitting on the couch and, and we got the news. I put it on speakerphone and, <laughs> you know, she starts tearing up and, and I start just giggling and laughing and I'm like kicking and screaming. Like it, it was, it was just one of, of excitement and elation and happiness 
um, to, to be able to, to say that after so many years and, and after a long road and, and paying those dues and whatnot, being able to, to earn this opportunity is, is something um, that, again, to get your dream job at 31 years old. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now just <laughs> thinking about it. But it's it's something that I, I could never have imagined it was going to go down like this, how it happened. And, um, you know, to be able, like I said, to do this with the crack in a team that is brand new and, and has so many great ideas and is already building a phenomenal culture and a phenomenal front office up there. I mean, it, it's truly very, very special. And, you know, of course, how tough was it when you got that job to not leak the news or to not tell until it was announced? Because yeah, no. And it, it, so I found out about it probably maybe 10 or so days, a week and a half after the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Mid-July when I found out about it. Um, so obviously the first call was mom. I told my mom. Um, I told my family. Uh, I told um, – we told her family, obviously – but other than that, there were a couple of close friends, but it, it did take a lot to, to not shout it from the rooftop. But I think <laughs> the, the more frustrating part is when they did the brand uh, reveal. Um, and they, because I, I, I found out about the job before they announced the name. So when I got the job, it was still NHL Seattle. It wasn't the cracking yet. Um, so when they went through that whole unveiling process, which, by the way, kudos to their digital, creative, marketing, social, and PR team because, wow, that was, that unlawed, that brought Unleash and, and the brand launch was fantastic mm-hmm. uh, for, for what they did. Um, but when I found that out, that's when it became really, really hard because now you have a team name. Yes. Now you have an identity. Um, and, and to say that I'm the broadcaster for the Kraken, that was really, really cool. So I, I liked a few things, you know, as, as a... As a hockey fan, I think I retweeted one or two things, but I couldn't do too much because I didn't want to tip people <laughs> off. That, Wait a minute, why is he retweeting all this cracking stuff? Is there something we don't know? So I, it was hard. It was hard to keep it under wraps, but I had to keep it under my hat for about about a month, I'd say, maybe three weeks is when I had to. Is about how long I had to keep it under my lid. Of course, you know, and of course, the fact that you are a history maker, being a fellow black person in hockey media, what does it mean ever to see more black people, more people of color getting involved in the hockey media side of things, being reporting, uh, writing, analysis or broadcasting in general? I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Um, you know, I remember when I was growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of, of influences, black influences in hockey to look up to. Um, mm. You know, there was David Amber, there was John Saunders. That was pretty much it as far as media-wise when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old growing up. Right. But now, I mean, obviously David Amber is still around up in Canada. You've got the likes of Kevin Weeks, who it was Kevin Weeks is the face. People don't realize, <laughs> but he is the face of the NHL. A black man is the face of the NHL. I mean, being on NHL Network, yes. anchoring their... Uh, you know, leading their all-star coverage and their Stanley Cup coverage and all the major events that he does for the network. And, and you know, he's an inspiration for, for myself and, and I know for a lot of other, you know, journalists coming up. You've got Anson Carter, uh, what he's been doing on NBC Sports Net. Mike Tirico has called a few games 
um, for NBC down here in the state. So um, there are a lot more reporters now. You've got, uh, you know, three black beat writers in the NHL in Ryan Clark, Tarek El-Bashir, and Eric Stevens uh, for the Avalanche, the uh, Capitals, and the Ducks, respectively. So you're starting to see a lot more um, black faces in non-playing roles. And I think it's great. I I think from a media standpoint, you're giving a voice to a historically underrepresented population in the game of hockey. And I think you're also helping to normalize and you're also helping to to show that next group of hockey fan, that next generation of hockey broadcaster or writer or journalist, whatever the case may be, that there is a place for you in this game. Hockey is for you. You can be a fan of hockey. And and I think it, it's all for the better when you see more and more black faces starting to emerge in these positions. Of course, I couldn't agree more. Amen. Also, and you can relate to these players even more. Like, I'm sure you related to Cyclones assistant coach Jason Payne. Being a black voice, you can help tell the stories of black players past and present, guys like the Subban brothers, the George LaRocks of the world, Anthony Duclair, and also show that, hey, we're all in this together. Be it black players, black media, black coaches, et cetera, et cetera, Everett. Yeah, that's huge. And, and even here in Cincinnati, you know, Jason Payne has been our assistant coach for the last two years. Uh, we've had a number of black players um, in my time in Cincinnati, uh, Jonathan Diaby earlier in my career, Devontae Stevens, Nate Mitten um, is on our team this year, Daniel Muzino Bagenda, who uh, is back over in Sweden, but he played uh, here for a year, um, Jamie Phillips, goaltender. Uh, so we've had quite a few black players um, for the Cyclones. And, you know, you mentioned George LaRock. He, along with Mike Greer and Anson Carter, they're the reason why I got into hockey. Uh, I remember watching a, a Red Wings game when I was growing up. It, uh, they were playing the Oilers, and, and they had Mike Greer and George LaRock on the same team. And for me, that was a huge moment because that was the first time that I'd ever seen black players playing the game of hockey. So, like I said before, that let me know that I had a place in this game, that hockey is for me. A couple of years later, Anson Carter joined. So now you've got three black players on the same team. Um, and to this day, I, I guess not anymore now that I work for the, the Kraken, but I'm an Oilers fan. I've been an Edmonton Oilers <laughs> fan pretty much my whole life. So um, it was it was really special to see those faces and to see people who, who look like me playing the sport of hockey um, and and you're right. I mean, you look at all of, of the players that are coming up now, and and it from from juniors all the way up to the NHL. You're seeing more black faces. You're seeing more black players. There's black coaches now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're waiting on black GMs and black owners, but you know, whatever stride that we can take to continue to showcase the diversity within the game of hockey. And not just racial diversity, but the gender diversity as yes. well and, and, and different other groups that, that enjoy our game. Um, I, I think it's only going to help broaden the scope of the game of hockey and draw even more fans into this great game. No, I couldn't agree more. And I know uh, your story being an Oilers fan. I love talking to Americans who are Oilers fans. So i got to ask you, being a guy from Detroit, what was it like watching the Oilers yeah. in 06? 
knocked the wings out in the first round being a Detroit guy. You know, it, honestly, it was a little bittersweet. I'm not going to lie to you, but... Um, you know, I was happy that the Oilers made it. Uh, I, I remember that run because, uh, so I was, that happened when I was a, I was a senior in high school and one of my teachers, diehard Red Wings fan, um, and he knew that I was an Oilers fan. So we had a little bet going. It, I forget what it was. I think honestly it was like if, if the Oilers won or I got, a, it was a pizza party for the class. It was, it was, it was a bet on behalf of me for the whole class. I forget what it was. Um, so obviously the Oilers won and he didn't talk to me for the rest for like a couple of days after because he was just so bitter. He can't believe, he couldn't believe that his mighty Red Wings lost to, to the Oilers. But, uh, uh, but no, it was, it was satisfying to see. I remember watching that series very vividly and, you know, I, I hate the fact that, you know, that it ended like the way it did against Carolina, obviously, you know, uh, you know, the goaltending situation that year with, with the injury, but, um, you know, it was, it was really, really fun to watch that series. And, and we, uh, being from Detroit, we got CBC. So I got to watch the Hockey Night in Canada version of the final and just the production value and being able to watch it through Canadian lenses. But what was pretty, it was pretty cool that entire Oilers run. No, it was a super fun run, you know, but being up here in Edmonton, it was tough. Seeing Game 1 Cup Final, Rolston doesn't get hurt, the Oilers absolutely win that series. If Rolston didn't get hurt, Oilers win that series in six. Yeah, I think so too. He was hot that run. He Oilers was... win that series in six if Rolston doesn't get hurt. You had everyone, you mean you had a solid top six on that team. Mm -hmm. Your D was probably, you know, one of the best in the conference at the time. And then you, if I'm not mistaken, special teams, I think the power play was like in the top five. It was, yes. In the playoffs. So like they were clicking. They were clicking really, really good. But Rollison, obviously, I mean, you need good goaltending to, to win. And I just, you know, even though the Oilers could score that year, they, you know, the goaltending just wasn't able to overcome it. But again, I think that if Rollison stays healthy, Edmonton wins that cup. In, in six games. I got to agree with you on that. And, you know, going from jumping forward to this year's playoffs, just, you know, from a standpoint, I know the ECHL cut their season short and every other league in North America has yeah. cut their season short. What's it been like for you going from making that adjustment from, you know, my season's cut short to wondering where is hockey going to go next? Because we're seeing rumors of next year might be a full year in a bubble. It might be a season where limited capacity. How are you handling things, you know, as a as a fan of hockey, but also the broadcast where there's so, so much uncertainty as to how next year's going to play out? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lying to you if I said, you know, it wasn't a little nerve-wracking. Um, obviously, with our season down here in the ECHL being cut short, we were, a lot of us were left wondering, and a lot of my colleagues and, and other people around the league, not only are, are we going to have a season next year, but as, as this thing got worse, you know, I, I'd have to imagine there were some teams around the league who were saying, are we going to be able to afford to stay operational next, mm -hmm. next season? So, right. I mean, there were a lot of, of different questions that have been asked and um, not many have been answered, but, you know, obviously we, as the Cyclones, we just shifted into our off-season mode just a little bit earlier, um, you know, you're you're doing your your promo schedules for next year, all of your marketing for next season, getting the schedule release out, things like that. Um, you know, hopefully 
with the pushback to December 4th, we'll have a vaccine or a treatment or, or we'll be somewhat close or closer to, to realizing, uh, you know, that maybe we can, we can get out of this thing sooner rather than later. But, you know, I think as a fan and, and as an employee, uh, yeah, it was a little bit nerve wracking trying to, trying to keep all of that, um, into perspective. And, you know, I, I, it's not lost on me that I am extremely, extremely lucky that while, you know, 50 million Americans have lost their jobs during a pandemic, I'm one of the very few ones that was able to find a job mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic with the Kraken. So, um, you know, it's it very, very blessed and, and fortunate that that has happened. But again, you know, I, it wasn't until mid-late May that the Kraken uh, interview process even started. So our last game was uh, March, I want to say 13th, whatever that Thursday was, March 12, 13, something like that. Um, so, you know, it was two months, almost two, two and a half months of uncertainty. And even going through the interview process, you never want to assume that you have the job. So, I mean, until they called me and offered me the job, there was a lot of uncertainty. Are we going to have a season next year? Um, are we going to, are we going to play next year? Uh, things like that. So, you know, it was very, very nerve-wracking, and I know it still is nerve-wracking for a lot of folks around the sports world, especially, you know, down here in the ECHL and even in the AHL, uh, the minor leagues that, that don't have the TV revenue and don't have the, the multi-billion dollar owners who can, who can afford to keep things afloat. So, trying times for sure, but being able to watch playoff hockey again and, and get some sense of normalcy back, I think it's been a pretty good state in great. I couldn't agree with you more that. And I will ask you, what are your thoughts on the series so far? Who do you have right now, ever coming out of the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference in the NHL? Who are your favorites right now to be battling for Lord Stanley's Cup? <laughs> I'll tell you what, if this were an NCAA bracket, I would have just paid out my money right now. Um, I had, in, in the West, I was, I don't know why, um, but once we got out of the round robin, I was on the Calgary, Colorado bandwagon. Um, I, I liked how they played, but then Kachuk gets hurt. He doesn't play. And, and you realize just how big of a heartbeat and how big of a pulse he is for that team. Um, Colorado looked unstoppable against, uh, against Arizona, but now they, they run into an 0-2 hole with Dallas. You have the defending Stanley Cup champion, uh, St. Louis Blues, who, I mean, they were poised, I think, to minimally make it back to the final, uh, but then they get ousted by, by Vancouver. So the West is all up in the air. Then you go out East. I think it's hard to bet against the usual suspects in Tampa Bay and Boston, but look at the Islanders. I mean, look at the, uh, the Islanders and Philly both are, are staking their claim, um, to, to making a deep run here. So, my prediction right now, that would probably change after the games tonight, uh, but my prediction right now, I'm going to say I think the Islanders, and I think if they can continue to play the way that they're playing, I think Vegas will get back to the final, and I think Vegas is going to win it this year. You know, I think it's winning it too because I think right now, looking at the Golden Knights, this is a team, this is a big physical team. I say on my show all the time, they can score by committee. Be it, say, someone like William yeah. Carlson, be it back to Pacioretty, 
being even guys like an H man, even like a Ryan um uh, Mark Stone, that is a team that knows how to score by committee. And if you can have all four lines rolling in the postseason, you're going to have a great shot winning championship. Yeah, and, and that's it too. And that, and that's exactly what is going on right now with that Dallas Colorado series. Colorado, all of their offense is coming from the top line. Dallas, they're getting offense all up and down their forward group and their top six on defense are scoring. So, I mean, you're, you have a full team effort when it comes to trying to find the back of the net, facilitating scoring goals, whereas Colorado, at least in the first two games, they're trapped. Nathan McKinnon can't do it all by himself. No, exactly. No, he really can't. A couple of more questions before I let you go here. And I know you've been someone in your in your calls, your personality. You've brought not just information. We've also been known as someone who's brought humor to your calls, your personality. What's it been like to mix humor with your calls? Because I think in hockey, especially over here in Canada. There's a perception, you know, oh, you can't, you can't be too jokey, you can't be too comical. You can have fun, you can have personality. Your call so far, and you're on air present. I love that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you can't have fun with this job, if you don't enjoy doing this job, then you shouldn't be doing it. Um, I have always been a believer of taking what you do seriously. I take my job seriously, whether it be broadcasting, whether it be PR. Whatever the case may be, whatever I'm tasked with doing, I will take seriously and I treat seriously. When it comes to myself, I don't take myself too seriously. I like to have fun. I like to live <laughs> loose and lighten things up and, you know, bring an, an element of fun to, to what I do. And and also, I mean, the last five years, I haven't had a color analyst. So as a play-by-play guy, I've just been talking to myself. It's been a one-man show for three hours a night, four days a week. So... You know, being able to to stay sane while talking to yourself. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> fast, but um, but no, honestly, I just I just enjoy what I do so much, and you know, I I want people for that little bit of time to experience the joy that I feel broadcasting and calling games and, and being a part of this industry. So you know, I've I've made some bad calls, and and I'll call myself out. You know, ooh, that was pretty good one i'm terrible at math uh you know what i mean so i'll i'll make a joke about that so i think that's the one thing um that that i like to be known for is in addition to me being a good broadcaster technically sound broadcaster he's also a person that likes to have fun that you can tell he enjoys what he does but he still takes it seriously and i think it's about finding that balance of having fun you can crack a few jokes, you can be a little bit light, but as long as you get across the point that this is a job and it's still serious. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that also, too. My last question for you here and ever now. When 2021 comes along, when you're in Seattle, I gotta ask, is there a city that you're looking forward to going to the most on the road? And there's no wrong answer, just your call. What city you wanna go to the most on the road when you're officially in Seattle? I think, I think, I mean, that's an easy answer. It's, it's, my first game in Detroit, back home, in front of family, um, obviously being, you know, a, a Red Wings fan early in my life, and, and even still, you know, the Oilers are, are, were my favorite team, but I'm always going to hold the Red Wings uh, a soft spot in my heart because they're the hometown team, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a team that I grew up watching, so... Um, but being able to go home for my first game in Detroit and and share that experience with my mother and with my family is, is going to be huge. Um, 
you know, we're, we're still trying to figure out the roles for the Kraken, and, and I know that my, my official title is, is team broadcaster, but, um, you know, we're, we're still working on a radio deal and everything like that. So as far as radio or TV or play-by-play or an analyst job or a hosting, whatever position that they have for me, whatever we decide on that position to be, um, you know, I, I'm just going to be really excited and happy to be a part of it. But, you know, if, if we get to that point and, and I'm allowed to, to travel in that position, I'm going to be mm. fighting like hell to see if I can get that trip uh, to Detroit put on my schedule because, I mean, that's going to be huge for me. Um, so, yeah, that that's the one city that I'm looking forward to going to most. I think second, probably Edmonton, just because I grew up an Oilers fan and it would be nice to, to be able to 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 call a game underneath uh, Gretzky's banner and <laughs> and all those retired banners in the rafters and um, and then obviously I, I, I think Montreal and, and New York uh, going to MSG um, and then being able to do it in, in Montreal I think those two cities out east probably you know would be um, also very fun so I, I guess I gave you four but <laughs> okay. number one would be Detroit hands down. Nice, nice, awesome. Everett, sir, you are a true trailblazer. And when the Kraken play the Oilers, I'll be glad to play tour guide for you around the city. Sounds good to me, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Everett.